the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God's blessing isn't fair. It's much better than we deserve. Because what's fair for all of us is hell, not just Jacob, for all of us. No good thing from God is fair. Praise to the God who reigns above. You know, it's almost as if this is the name God uses to remind us that no matter how hard we try to mess up his plans for us, he's more than able to accomplish his purposes. And I find that wonderfully comforting. That he is God Almighty, that he is bigger even than me in the messes I make. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. I'm your host, Nate Elliott, as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 34 was a hard chapter. We saw after Dinah, one of Jacob's daughters, was raped, her brothers went and killed all the men in the town by tricking them. They learned these tactics from their father Jacob himself. We join Pastor Will in Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. Well, we left last week with kind of a, a yucky situation. Maybe your day started like this. The kids burned down the neighbor's house, and uh, now, you know, you've got to deal with it. <laughs> so the, this is far worse than that, of course. Simeon and Levi have wiped out an entire city. And so here, Jacob, he's frustrated. He doesn't know what to do. And, you know, in the aftermath, you know, what is he going to do? What can he do? He spent a lifetime running from trouble. But where can he hide from repercussions of his son's actions this time? I mean, this was something he didn't do to himself. And this time, you know, someone else did the action, and now he's got to deal with the consequences. And then, of course, there's the personal factor, because none of this would have happened if he'd obeyed the Lord by going to Bethel, like God told him. But for 10 years, he had delayed fully coming home. And like all the other times he tried to do things his own way, it turned into a mess. Which brings up the question, what, what do you do when, when you've gone your own way and things start going south really quick? As Jacob will find out, there's only one answer. You obey the last thing that God told you to do. You obey the last thing God told you to do. And in this case, it was come home. And so as we see Jacob finally return to Bethel, may the lessons he learns remind us to stay close to the Lord and then to come home when we stray. So Genesis 35, verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto you when you fled from the face of Esau your brother. And then Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. So they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is, Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. So 
we start off here in chapter 35. It carries right at the end of chapter 34 where Jacob doesn't know what to do. And we don't know if Jacob sought the Lord or God simply appeared to him with these instructions. I'm inclined to think that he sought the Lord because this sounds like an answer to a question. What do I do, God? Arise, go up. In fact, the first part of the question is get up, arise, which means he's probably down on his knees praying. What do I do, God? I don't know what to do. This is a mess. And he says, arise, get up, and go to Bethel the place where God had originally told him to go, the place he had avoided for 10 years. God is so gracious, isn't he? He's so gracious. You know, he's merciful. He is kind. All of those things are true. But I have seldom found God to change his tune when it concerns my obedience to his commands. I think sometimes we interpret God's grace, his mercy, and his kindness as permission to do what we want. And certainly the scriptures do not tell us that. God doesn't tell Jacob, well, I know you didn't want to go back to Bethel 10 years ago, so let's try something now, Jacob. No, God picks up with the last command he gave to Jacob, go to Bethel, go home. And here he tells him the same thing again, go to Bethel, go home, go to that place and dwell there, the place that, and make an altar there unto God, the place that I appeared unto you when you fled first from the face of your brother Esau. Many Christians fight this their entire lives. They do their own thing. They make a mess. They get right with God because they know they're not where they're supposed to be. But then they get frustrated when after they're, they've gotten right with God and now they're, they're coming to church and they're trying to do the right thing and God says, hey, remember that thing we talked about a while ago? I want you to go do that. And then they get frustrated when he tells them to do that before they made the mess, you know, the, the thing that he wanted them to do beforehand. And so then they go and they repeat the mistake by making a new, a new mess. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't be that. That's Saul's story. You know Saul's story? Remember? All the time that God would confront him or David would confront him or prophet would confront him and go, oh, you guys are right, I'm wrong. Man, I've done this all wrong. I need to fix this. I'm not gonna do this anymore. And then what would happen? A week later, he'd be out hunting David again. Saul lived a continual life where the Lord was just trying to deal with him. The theme for Saul's life that Samuel told him is, listen, man, obedience is better than sacrifice. God's not after all of your, all of your, your stuff. He's, you know, the idea isn't, I'm going to get right with God, so now I'm going I'm to read my Bible 30 minutes a day, and I'm going to go to every church service. And You should do that, maybe even more than 30, but I'm just saying you should spend time in the Word. You should be in church. You should pray. But God's not happy with just the going through the motions of that. He's after me. He's after you. And I found very often that the Lord, when I, when I come to him, and I'm like, Lord, I've made a mess of this situation. And he's like, yeah, you have, but I can fix it. I love you and I forgive you. Now, remember what I told you to do before? Go do it. That's the thing that Lord, he never, he never changes his tune. You know, Jacob's story is so much better than Saul's story. Be that. Because if you're going to have some messes in your life, Jacob's story is better because the hard lessons he learned, in the hard lessons he learned, he grows in his trust in God's commands for his life. And he comes to a place where he obeys the Lord. Later on, God will tell him to go down to Egypt. And that was the one no-no, the one thing you don't do. Remember, Abraham went to Egypt and that went bad. Remember the temptation was there for Isaac to go to Egypt? And he goes, I'm not going there. That went bad for dad. That was the one place you don't go. And then God finally comes to him when Joseph is down there and he's gonna rescue him through the whole famine experience. And he says, go to Egypt. And Jacob's like, I'm not going there. That was one one thing I know my dad said and grandpa said, don't go to Egypt. But the Lord says, no, I'm gonna take care of you down there. He trusts him and he goes. 
Jacob learned. He grew through those difficult times. You know, sometimes the Lord allows us to fall on our face so we get the, the scent of the mud. We get the scent of what it's like to be in that spot. And we go, I don't want to be here again. And then we know it's much sweeter with him even when we don't understand exactly how it's going to work out. It's so that we stay close and we don't stray. What is that old hymn, prone to wander? Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above, right? We are prone to wander. So in our wanderings, the Lord teaches us to stay close. Saul never learned to stay close. He came close, but he didn't stay close. Jacob grew in learning to stay close. And so he responds in verse 2. Then Jacob said unto his, his household, that would be his family, and then to all that were with him, that would be all the, all the people that you know, were serving him in his whole household. And he said, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. And let us arise and go up to Bethel. And there I will make an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress. I hope, I hope he answers me again and was with me in the way which I went. When Jacob yielded to God on the hilltop, he apparently kept his faith very personal, allowing his family to continue in idolatry. Because he tells them here, he says, guys, it's enough. Enough is enough. Put away all the strange gods, all the idols here. We know Rachel was an idolater because she stole her father's idols, right? So this was a common practice in his family. And so he, he tells them, enough's enough, guys. It's not, I, I'm trying to walk with the Lord. No, I'm not doing a good job of it all the time. But it's time for all of us to start walking with the Lord. Get rid of the strange gods. As poor a job as Jacob did trusting God for the last 10 years, he's all in right now with trusting and obeying God. And he tells him, he says, be clean. The word there means to purify yourself. Like Jacob, they needed to have that moment with God where they made things right with him. You know, there was probably some ritual bathing, the idea of purification or some type of ritual they went through. Not that they had to, there's probably just a cultural thing to signify a changed heart. There are things in my life that signify a changed heart. I wear a bracelet here, and it says on here, it says, Steps of Faith. It was a time in my life when I was incredibly discouraged in the ministry. I didn't even know what the next step was supposed to be. I didn't want to take another step. But I went to a pastor's conference, and the theme of the conference was Steps of Faith. And in that conference, the Lord dealt with me, and he said, Will, can you just trust me for one more step? Can you just trust me for one step at a time? And that doesn't sound that hard, does it? <laughs> can I take one more step? Can I trust him with one more step? And it was a starting point again for my life of getting revitalized in my, my walk with him and my trust in him and my, my, my service toward him. And so Beverly got me this bracelet. It's something new. It's something different. It marks a change, you know, in my life. And for them, he's like, change your clothes. The idea that these new clothes would be an outward symbol of something that had occurred inside that they were going to get right with God. In a repentance, a true change of mind will result in changed behavior. It has to. There's, there's no way. You can't say, yeah, you know, I'm not. And I don't think it's right to cheat on my wife anymore and then continue to cheat on your wife. That, that, that means you really haven't changed your mind. So Jacob signifies, guys, this isn't just a let's get religious moment so God will get us out of trouble. And I know we've probably all done that. He says, this is serious. We need to get right with the Lord. And they do. Verse 4, it says, They gave unto Jacob all their strange gods, all their idols, which were in their hands, and it mentions all their earrings that were in their ears. This doesn't mean that earrings are evil. There was a, a big movement in the 70s and 80s to say that earrings were evil because of verses like this. Earrings are not evil, but these earrings were normally tokens or charms. They were usually good luck charms associated with pagan gods. So if you have earrings that are good luck charms, get rid of them. Otherwise, you're cool. 
You know, I, when people ask me questions about things like that, tattoos, earrings, I, I, you know, I always say, well, you know, okay, well, you want to get one, why? Why? You know, why do you want to get one? Well, you know, I love my mom, and I want to get some. Okay, fine, whatever. You know, that's fine. You know, put mom on there, you know. At least mom won't change like a girlfriend. And so Jacob hid them or buried them under the oak, which was by Shechem. He just wanted no one to find them, get rid of them. And they journeyed, and the terror of God, it says, was upon all the cities that were round about them, so they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. That every, the word there, terror, means an, an alarm or a fear that immobilizes. In other words, they, God put this fear on them that, that they would be next if they did something. You know? and, so, and so they didn't do anything. They just kind of sat there you know, as they left and got away. And that everyone survived is a miracle in light of the normal repercussions that should have come upon him. I mean, this is one of the best definitions of mercy that I can see in the scripture, the best visual descriptions, because mercy is not getting what you deserve, right? And this is what Jacob deserved was the repercussions, but God didn't give him what he deserved. Oftentimes we blow it big time, and then the enemy says, well, you can't go to God for help. You deserve the consequences. Or how about this one? You're a believer now. You should know better. Like God would be more ready to forgive us when we were his enemy than when we were his child. I love my kids. There are times that they will absolutely drive me nuts. Those times are few and far between, but there are times when they do. And then there are times they do things and you're just like, maybe you're not my kid, you know? <laughs> but they do things and you just think, what were you thinking? You know, why would you do that? You know, and, but I am so ready and eager to forgive. They're my kid. I, I tell them all the time, I say, you're my son. You're my daughter. Nothing is changing that. You're always going to be my son. You're always going to be my daughter. And you can do whatever you want, but it's not going to change the love that I have for you. I don't have that same feeling towards your kids. Sorry. <laughs> okay? They've got a few knocks, and once they cross that line, it's over. You know? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> my point is, is that I have a deep affection for my kids. Why? They're my kids. They're my kids. And the same way the Lord feels towards us. If he'd be willing to forgive us when we were his enemy, how much more when we're his kids? So the enemy, you know, he comes to us and says, you can't do that. God doesn't always remove the, the consequences, but he is merciful. Remember David when he sinned by numbering the people? God gave him three choices. He said, listen, David, you can either deal with, yeah, fall into the hands of your enemies. I don't remember what the second one was, but it was, another, it was kind of like a prolonged problem. I think, I think you fall into the hands of your enemies for three months or three years or something like that, or fall, you know, this will happen for a couple of months or a couple of years, I don't remember. And then, and then the last one was pestilence, you know, for three days, I think is what it was. And... What did David say? He says, man, better to fall in the hand of the Lord than the hand of men. Why? Because God is merciful. God is merciful. He knew that if he pleaded with the Lord to stop, that God would, that God would stop. And that's what happened. When he saw the destruction that was coming upon Israel, it broke his heart because he thought, Lord, they didn't do anything wrong. This is on me. And he pleaded with God to stop and God saw his heart and he saw the people and he had mercy and he stopped, you know? God is merciful. We can ask for him for help in taking care of us despite being the cause of our own problems. You know, we, we don't have to walk around, well, I made this mess and I've got to lie in it, you know? Well, maybe God might let you if there's something to learn from it, but maybe not. Don't listen to those lies from the enemy. The Bible says that we can come to him. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. I'm going to see you through this. I'm going to, we're going to plow this field together. We're going to go through it together. Jacob, verse 7, he, or verse 6, he came to Luz, which was the original name of this place. It later will take on the name Bethel because that's what he named it. 
he and all the people that were with him, verse 7, and he built there an altar, and he called the place El Bethel, or the God of Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Remember when Jacob came out of, he had to run away because Esau was going to kill him when dad died. He stopped here overnight, and he had the dream where he saw the ladder and the angels of God descending on the ladder. And then God made the promise to him. He said, you're the one, Jacob. You're, my, you're the one who's going to get the covenant. And in addition to that, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bring you safely back home. So the Lord had promised him that. And so he said he goes back to this place where God had at first appeared unto him when he fled from Esau. It mentions here that during this time, verse 8, Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died. And she was buried beneath Bethel under an oak oak tree, and the name of it was called Elon Bakuth. Uh, the, the name there refers to the fact that there was a great mourning. She was deeply loved. Now, for someone to die there and for, some, for them to all go through building an altar and this whole experience means they stayed there for a while. Now, Shechem is only, uh, not Shechem, Bethel is only 20 miles south of Shechem. So that's only about a day's journey away, maybe two days, depending on how many people are coming. And so Jacob trusted that God's instructions were good for him, even though it put him in close proximity to those who might want to exact retribution from him. Um, but he stayed there. He stayed there for a while. Now, Deborah's appearance here is, is it, she comes and then she goes. I mean, she doesn't even live. She just dies. You know, it's all we got from her. But we don't know who she was. We don't know this woman's significance, but obviously she was dearly loved because there was a great weeping for her. The question, of course, is why is she mentioned here? Well, Jewish tradition states that Rebecca, that's Jacob's mother, died right after the death of her nurse Deborah, that she knew she was dying and she sent her up to go be with Jacob because she knew she couldn't be with Jacob. Uh, Isaac, of course, is still alive and he is very old. He is very ill at this time. He, he thought he was dying 30 years ago. And so, you know, he's obviously not doing very well at this point in time. And so some postulate that they sent Rebecca up to, to be re- reunited with her son since she could not be. And then her death is mentioned here in the Bible because Rebecca's death isn't. In fact, you'll never find Rebecca's death recorded in the scripture. Why is that? Well, tradition states that there was no public mourning for her. Um, the fear was that Esau, as the representative of the family, at her funeral would say something to shame her because he didn't like Rebecca very much. Remember she said, uh, you know, Jacob, you go away lest I lose two sons in one day, you know. She knew she'd already lost Esau, that he bore no love to her because she had, you know, she had the one that put Jacob up to the deception. And so Esau never forgave her for that is what it seems like. Now there's no biblical evidence that's the reason why, but that's a possibility. Genesis 49.31 mentions that she was, Rebekah was buried in the cave of Machpelah with Abraham and Sarah, and then later with Isaac as well. So we do know that she was buried there, but it's not recorded anywhere. Well, verse 9, there at Bethel, they build this altar, he worships God. Uh, this morning event occurs, and then in verse 9, God finally appears unto him again. God appeared, verse 9, unto Jacob again. When he came out of Paddan Aram, that's where Laban was, and he blessed him. And God said unto him, your name is Jacob. Your name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And he called his name Israel. God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of you, and kings shall come out of your loins. And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to you, I will give it. And to your seed after you will I give the land." So God comes here and he blesses Jacob at Bethel. It just at the very beginning, it says he just came and blessed him. You know, it always amazes me that 
how God blesses me when I least deserve it. I'm so glad God doesn't give me what I deserve. Are you? I'm so happy, man. <laughs> I know how that story ends. And it's, it's already over. You know, if God had given me what I deserve, that story is already over. There is no more story. I'm so glad that he lets me come to my senses like the prodigal son, that he allows me to come home and welcomes me with open arms. Now, some say, but man, Jacob was a, just a, a brat, man. I mean, he'd never done anything right. Now God's going to bless him? I mean, that doesn't make any sense. That's not fair. You're right, it's not. <laughs> God's blessing isn't fair. It's much better than we deserve. Because what's fair for all of us is hell, not just Jacob, for all of us. No good thing from God is fair. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above from the Father of lights, right? It's a gift. Every good thing is a gift from him, right? With him who has no shadow of turning. He doesn't change. He never fails, but we do. He's just good. And he blesses us out of that goodness. It's all grace. And that kindness and that mercy, of course, is designed to what? To lead us to what? Repentance, right? I find that God is so good to me in those moments where I'm the, the most undeserving because it breaks my heart and it brings me back to his throne room, brings me back to his feet, brings me back to that place of surrender. Well, after blessing him, God reminds him of his new name. God reminds him, hey, uh, Jacob, I know it's been 10 years, but you remember what happened up on that hill? And all, I wonder if his you know, side started, hip started to ache a little bit when God said it. You remember what happened up there? Your name is Jacob, but not anymore. Israel shall be your name. Israel shall be your name. He says, I changed your name up on that hill, Jacob, but you've been living like I didn't. You've been living like it's still your call. I'm in charge now. And I want you to act accordingly from this moment forward. And then I love it here. He called his name Israel. From this moment forward, that's how I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to call you Israel. The point is, is that God begins to treat him like he's already changed. Truth be told, there's still a lot of Jacob left in him. We're going to see bits and pieces of it as his story continues. It's going to be less and less. He's going to be more Israel than Jacob, but he's still going to be Jacob sometimes. But I love that God calls him Israel. You know, he doesn't call him Jacob slash Israel. He calls him Israel because God sees the finished product even when what we're, still, we're still what appears to be a mess on the canvas, right? But it still looks like a big blob of abstract art. The Lord says, yeah, but I see a finished picture here. And that's who I'm going to call you right now. Do you know that's how God sees you if you're in Christ? That he sees you as a finished product? Do you know that? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, I love this. It says this, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30, you can write it down. It says, but of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In Christ, we are all those things. I'm wise. I'm not very wise sometimes, but that's how he sees me because he gives me his wisdom. It's all, at my, it's all at my disposal. He calls me righteous. I don't act very righteous sometimes, but that's who I am in Christ. I'm sanctified. Well, I'm still in process, Lord, but I see the finished product because you're in my son. You're redeemed. Lord, this body doesn't feel very redeemed sometimes. I know, but I see you as the finished product. In my son, I see you as redeemed. And that's how God can use us. God doesn't look and go, you know, you're just a mess. You know, I can't use you anymore. He says, I see you as the finished product. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want to use you. And then in verse 11, back in Genesis, God reiterates the covenant blessing that he gave to him in Bethel some 30 years prior to this. <clears throat> verse 11, God said unto him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of you, and kings shall come out of your loins. 
And the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to you, I will give it. And to your seed after you will I give the land. God Almighty. So he says, I am God Almighty, man. I'm the one who can do anything. The one who has the ability to perform what he says he'll do. That's what that means. El Shaddai. The one who can has the ability to perform what he says he'll do. This was the same name that God used of himself when he spoke to Abraham after the whole Ishmael fiasco. Abraham's all proud. I got an Ishmael. I made an Ishmael. And, you know, and then the Lord comes to me and goes, hey, I'm God Almighty. Be walk thou perfect before me. And Abraham falls on his face. You know, I'm the one who can do anything. I don't need your Ishmael. I got an Isaac for you. You know, it's almost as if this is the name God uses to remind us that no matter how hard we try to mess up his plans for us, he's more than able to accomplish his purposes. And I find that wonderfully comforting, that he is God Almighty, that he is bigger even than me in the messes I make. And this is what is so beautiful about the doctrine of predestination. You know, you say, whoa, how'd we get there? Let me tell you this. And, you know, and that word scares people, okay? The predestination, why are we going there tonight? I thought we were going to have a nice, happy Bible study in Genesis. That word scares us, predestination, you know? Sounds like a horror movie, you know? God, you know, you know, you know some people going to heaven, some people going to hell. I'm going to clarify in a moment. The word scares us, but it shouldn't, okay? See, God knows our frame that we're simply dust. And he knows that we're so acquainted with our own weakness that we often wonder, I don't think I'm going to make it. Will I make it? And so God gave us the gift of predestination. God is never through with us till the day we die. He is always calling us out of our sin into a closer relationship with Him. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Will continues the study and explains what it means that predestination is a gift from God to all of us. But if you have questions about anything else or would like prayer, please reach out to us. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.